Right, good evening, Ben. How are you, mate? All right? Yeah, I'm all right, thanks. How are you? Pretty good, mate. Pretty good. Uh, I did promise you last year that if I did one thing, we would get an interview with at least one person. First yeah. interview of the year. Yeah. So, uh, without further ado, uh, I would like to introduce to you and everybody else a BAFTA award-winning documentary maker, Angie B. Hello. Hello. How are you? I'm good, thanks. I'm good, thanks. Happy New Year. Happy New Happy Year. Happy New Year to you too. Yeah. It's, it's certainly a crazy start. We're only seven, eight, nine days in and it feels like the world has already ended, but that's fine. <sighs> oh, it'll only get better. That's I mean, true. I feel a bit fatigued with it all, to be honest. I'm trying not to watch any news or anything like that. Yeah. Um, just, just, just to keep keep a bit more positive and have a bit, a bit better outlook on, on it all. The only, the only thing I'm interested in is what's happening with the vaccine, really. Well, you know, <laughs> that's that's fair enough. The best I, place I... to be right now is a campfire with a beer with you two. That's it. Virtual campfire. Shit. Here Cheers we are. to that. <laughs> where, where we're at is that we, we asked you to come along, Angie, because one of the things that is interesting about you is, is that you, you don't really like camping, do you? Uh, no, not really. No. No. So you... <laughs> I don't know how else to say that. Why? why? Why don't you like camping? I suppose I think I don't like it. That's probably the truth. Yeah. Uh, proper camping. Well, that... I think you're right. Well, uh, this is the, the purpose of this interview, Ben, is to find out whether or not she really has done proper camping. We've, well, we've obviously got prior knowledge, so uh, yeah, yeah. But I, whether or not, I mean, I'm calling proper camping Wales, and it's just absolutely tipping down with rain, and you don't know what to do for water. <laughs> but, so several years ago, you did you did a documentary, didn't you, Ange? And uh, it was quite an interesting one. Do you, you want to explain a little bit about what that was and what it what it entailed? Yeah. So about I mean, gosh, I say a few years ago, it's nearly twenty, which was embarrassingly long ago. But the long and short of it was, I was really lucky. My job was really sort of crazy. That I get to do lots of different things. And in this particular instance, I went to Namibia. Um, for uh, six weeks, led by a uh, an ex-SAS soldier um, who trekked across the desert for a Channel 4 documentary. And so I, I sort of went from zero to, oh my God, I'm camping properly uh, in about, in a very short space of time. With zero training, having, the closest I got to camping was probably a caravan in Great Yarmouth in the 80s. And then next thing I know, I'm in the middle of the desert with people I don't know in search of the Himba people. It was sort of a bit of a baptism of fire, to be honest. Ben, does that qualify? <laughs> yeah, I think I think camping the other side of the world is, well, it's, it's basically not far off as south as you can get in a straight line from the UK. Um, <laughs> Pretty I much think, is, I yeah. think that qualifies, must be what, 8,000 miles from death like that? Got to be, ah. at least. Now, now, now you're asking me to do geography. Sorry, yeah, that's, I mean, not, that's not on my list. <laughs> if I'd have had a so, guess, I'd have said five. But, I mean, either way, it's a long way. Yeah, I will say as well that the other thing was that it was it was taking people like me who hadn't really done it before. They wanted to push themselves in certain ways. And the challenge was really to see if a, a group of people that didn't know each other 
could somehow come together in these pretty extreme circumstances. And it's funny, isn't it? Because my job was to sort of work and yet I was also trying to manage my ability to deal with it. It's a sort of really strange scenario because normally I know what I'm doing. You yeah. know, I'm okay at my job and suddenly I'm trying to do my job in a circumstance in an environment I have absolutely zero control over. One of the questions I wanted to ask is camping good for you? Was the conclusion of that that people can do it and it does bring out the best in people? Gosh, what a great question. I think that it's yes and no, isn't it? Because I think what happens is, is that the, in the moment, well, first of all, you've got to resign yourself to anything happening, haven't you? And you never really know whether you're camping in Wales and you think you're going to hate it or whether you're camping in it. They're, they're the same principles, aren't they? If you're outside of your comfort zone, yeah. Yeah. you're outside of it, where, wherever you yeah. are geographically. And so... I think that absolutely yes, is that I've proved that I can. And and of course, time has given me a slightly more romantic version of it because I talk about it wistfully and enjoying it. If you asked me to do it tomorrow, would I say yes? I Without without work for myself, I I think the answer is yes. Yeah, I think it's a massive it, challenge. It oh, I, I, I would thought you were going to say no, to be perfectly fair. It's it's another note that I made here. Was I was going to say, if you had the choice between being locked down in tier five or going camping out in the middle of nowhere where you, you, you're slogging away, carrying a rucksack in God knows what temperature, you don't know where your next meal or what time it's going to come from, where your next water source is, but would you do it against tier five lockdown? Oh, see, I have to confess. So I'm my sort of devil on my shoulder of laziness, which is, oh, you can stay in the warm for ages and watch loads of Netflix is going, yes, do that. And then the other side, which has had enough, is like, get me out of here. And I want to be challenged in a different way and have a new ex you know, experience. Yeah. I, think, I think the answer is probably yes. That is good. Like, yeah, if I, I I would probably sell a kidney to be able to go camping right now. <laughs> like, well, well, I don't know what they probably could. How, how much do you want for it? Because at the rate I'm drinking with these podcasts, I might need that, Ben. <laughs> um, I don't know, 20 grand. <laughs> okay, we'll, we'll talk offline. <laughs> I mean, uh, it's not going to be much good to you because I'm on vodka and apple, mate, so... I was just going to say, I just, I wonder how much any of us in this current climate. Yeah, that is, that is very true. That is very true. Just took a battering. So yeah. the, the premise of the show then, so how, how did it come about? So did, was it just some crazy person decided, I don't know, let's, let's just make a show, take random people, um, in, in, in the part, yes, I think that the guy who led us had done this before. Uh, he's really passionate about pushing people to their to their extremes and proving that you can do something. And so it was definitely sort of driven by, I think, if I'm remembering correctly, and forgive me if you're listening, Sergeant. Um, we call him Sergeant, but he's actually a major. major. He is a major. This, this guy is absolutely amazing. He's somebody that's obviously lived in the most extreme conditions ever. And he believes that anybody can do anything at any time. And so it, that's good telly, isn't it? Really? Yeah, yeah, and yeah. yeah. The, and the guy that I work with, the director, is a very famous um, 
uh, observational filmmaker and he'd never made anything like this. I'd never made anything like this where normally we film things where you observe people naturally. This was the first time we'd done something that television had created, um, which was to, to find the people through the production company, to interview them, to sort of set it up. So it, this wouldn't have happened without our intervention effectively. If you looked at them individually, you'd think there's no way on the surface they could do this. And yet everybody did in some capacity. It wasn't without drama and challenges, arguments, because there's nothing like 40 degrees heat and being exhausted and starving and thirsty to have a massive <laughs> row with somebody about yeah. something really, really small. Who's had, who's had the last jammy dodger? And that's it. <laughs> You're done. Yes. Well, I will confess, I did think to myself, again, 20 years ago, when I was much younger, that I'd, I'd sort of go there and come back this live, very tan, which is really ambitious when I'm so ginger and white, um, sort of skinny person but I was eating those little um those bars you get you know for energy bars starting off in 2000 calories before I'd eaten anything and I put on a stone wow Crikey. and came back and came back with a terrible man tan sort of farmer tan <laughs> that was sort of a big v there and just really terrible so I did the exact opposite of what I said that to do. <laughs> it's interesting though with, with the calories and the intake you and that you go on a relatively relaxed walk and just lump a rucksack on your back and then camp out that evening. You don't have to go far, do you, Ben? You, we're talking maybe 10 or 15 miles. 1,200 calories before you've got your ass out of bed. As soon as you start moving, you're burning calories. And you might average, I don't know, 100 calories an hour, something like that. But the reality is what you've, got, you've got to feed yourself ultimately. And whether that's regular stops just to chuck a, a bar in yourself just to keep the blood sugars up, you know, um, I don't know, and and so so for you, Angie. Then was that was that sort of like a, a thing that, that that you had to do? So you had to stop regularly to to rehydrate, to eat, or or, or was was there like sort of specific goals that you know? Because I was base camp and the team were trekking. My job, one of my roles, was to move base camp to the next destination. Hence the fact I put on weight as opposed to losing it. So. While I was munching the energy bars and packing up all the tents and getting it into the vans to drive the 10 miles they'd walked that day or however far they walked, I then set up all the tents. I, met, I At one point, I was like an Olympic champion at putting everyone's tents up for them. Uh, I couldn't do it now for love nor money, but then I was flipping fast. Sorry to interrupt, but did you fall out with anybody at that point? Because I know full well that if I go camping with my wife, give me 10 minutes with poles and nylon and we're nearly having a divorce. That's why we bought a, an <laughs> Airbeam tent. <laughs> Bean Camping, the Camping and Outdoors podcast. So I didn't have a chance to fall out with people because I was pretty much doing it with just me and one another. So uh, I tell you what was difficult was boredom a bit. You know what? Yeah. I don't think boredom's a bad thing, though. I, I suppose I'm using the word boredom in a positive well, to, way to be honest throughout 2020 i've had a lot of practice at it <laughs> <laughs> we're all pretty good with boredom but it's funny because i also i quite like boredom I, i'm at home with boredom I, maybe the word i should have used is uh nothingness actually which i did enjoy so i think boredom is wrong is that i had lots of nothingness take away all of that what i think is really positive is then you look forward to things that you wouldn't ordinarily do right so suddenly yeah, dinner becomes the highlight of the day ask me to peel spuds and kill me now but then i was like give me something to do so i would peel spuds for 20 people yeah now you've said this mm. before ben in that 
one of the best things about going away camping you do appreciate the tasks so you might be sat there peeling potatoes but suddenly actually it's a pleasant experience i, I find i'm probably the opposite i, I get bored really easily yeah i get um, bored too but me and you are very similar ben maybe maybe for a day going going into the camping thing like i, I find just you know the things that you set for granted when you're at home like i i find quite quite nice it's like prep, prepping prepping the evening meal or or, or whatever you know when you're at home you just want to get it done get it get it you know because you, you haven't got the time whereas i find if, if i'm camping looking forward to making that evening meal yeah so if it's peeling the potatoes cutting carrots or pre prepping the meat ready to cook and, and, and then getting and, it on and the whatnot. fire and, and cooking it which by yeah. by the way and i am curious and i've got to ask us because i know that anyone that listens to this will will want to know how did you light your fire with an sas instructor by your side i'm embarrassed i can't remember i know that's a very important fact but <laughs> i i only, don't remember only to us only to us <laughs> Did you use just matches, a, a lighter, um, a, a flint, flint, and some some charcoal? So or... I mean, I know this is a this is a film set. This is a this is a documentary that you're making, and you're up against the clock because you know who who wouldn't be? You've, you've still got deadlines that you've got to meet. You know, you can't stay up there indefinitely and just drift along. But I mean, you've got to rub two sticks together, haven't you? Surely, you know, if you're going to test your capabilities and test your metal, then you've got to rub a couple of wooden sticks together and see whether you're going to have pasta that night. Uh, I don't know. You're listening to Bean Camping with your hosts, Ben and Ant. Welcome to the Virtual Campfire. Well, another question, I guess. What was what was the best bit of kit that you took with you, or that you had to to, to use? For me personally, it was the Petzl torch, which I'd never heard of, never used, never seen. Probably my best ally when I was by myself in a tent trying to look for spiders. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I think I think you actually know, I... probably at this point we should declare a, a, a separate interest, which is that I do know you, Ange. We are related. I'll say that in the interest that I do have that Petzl torch 20 years later and it is still used. That's pretty That's good to go to go to 20 years. It is 20 still. years, isn't it? But best part of 20 years. Yeah. 2003. I knew that you went off and did this, but we never really spoke about it. You know, you like filming and making films and I like camping and why we haven't spoken about this before. I don't actually know, but probably be a fairly short conversation because you still like your creature comforts and I still like the hardships of it all. So I really exactly. should have, I should have been the one going and you should have been the one staying at home, but it never really worked out that way. You know, you'd, you'd have probably got a job with Gordon Buchanan filming the next camping in the middle of wherever. Getting that by polar bears, mate. Yeah, exactly. Well, I'd have been all right because I'd have been in that white coffin cage that you mentioned a few episodes ago. <laughs> You know. Polar Bear's vending machine, mate. I'll stick by what I said. It's the worst, it's the worst thing I've ever seen. It's just staring it at death. I, I have since looked at it, Ben, and you're right. It is horrific. <laughs> so if you don't know what we're talking about, go back a couple of episodes. Listen, episode two or three, probably. So, okay, moving on then from, from Polar Bear vending machines. A kit, kit breakdown then. So the average, obviously, you didn't do the expedition. However... They were the people that were doing it. What 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 kit were they taking with them? 
Well, bearing in mind they weren't carrying their, obviously their sleeping kit, that was in our trucks being moved on. And so I think for the most part, it was just essential. Yeah, I think if you added a, a tent, you probably we probably would have killed people. I mean, because we only had those sort of army bottles of water to carry. You sort of had to keep yourself a level of rehydration, which, you know, who knows how to do that anyway, never mind in that heat. So that was the big challenge. People had trained as much as they could, but I don't think you're ever as physically fit as you probably no, think you are, I, I right? I guess not. I guess unless you've been and done it, didn't do too great at it, it'd give you an idea of what you needed to do next time to do better at it and... If you're just taking completely random people and then and then just chucking them in the bloody desert and saying, right, crack, crack on and here's all your kit, it's probably slightly slightly unfair. So, yeah, I can appreciate that. On top of that, insects. You've got insects like nobody's business. So one of the huge challenges for me personally yeah. was mosquitoes. So many more things, I guess, you have to concern yourself with. So one of the things we did have with us, which I know is not the most usual of people to have with you, is, is a hunter who had a gun in case we... Were, we came across any wild animals. I tell you what I did learn at the time, again, is to see if you chose somewhere to camp, you'd have to see which animals had stayed there before. So you'd have to look for footprints because if there were any footprints of certain animals and it might mean that then there might be lions. And so you have a kind of hierarchy of care that you need for somebody to make sure that right. what you're saying is safe. I, I, I tell you my favorite thing I remember is one of the things about being in a tent is, is if you hear a larger animal, lion, elephant whatever is you should never put your head out because you become smaller you have to always be bigger than the thing that you're fighting against and your tent is bigger potentially going to hurt yeah, you yeah. yeah yeah and so do not put your head out of your tent i mean that's just instinctive no to go zip get yourself out of your sleeping bag zip, get yourself out of your first thing zip, second out zip, stick what's, your head out what's that out there here's the unzipping turns around it's like is here. <laughs> you're basically a you're basically a burrito at that point aren't you your heads are like sticking out. yeah first. it is safety mm. first yeah but it is i mean so, we, we take that's another level isn't it from where we've 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 catapulted ourselves ben from we're talking about solo camping in the uk where let's face it the biggest danger is probably another human being and yeah um i mean i can't think of i mean unless you're stuck in the middle of uh, a red deer park in the rutting season smelling of musk then you have not got a problem anywhere have you <laughs> let's be honest wild boar i guess if you're down south well i like mean new forest and places like that again perhaps. i think i think oh. you'd be really unlucky to, to yeah they tend to avoid to go to an environment where you're hunted and by a by a predator is I mean I shit myself sometimes going camping and think what's that noise I can remember it when I was a kid and I would be in the tent in the back garden and I'd hear a hedgehog uh, rustling around the the, the fly sheet <laughs> I had no idea what it is and I would I'd just lay there rigid like a block <laughs> of ice going what the hell <laughs> to have a hunter with you is it is camping on another level <laughs> I, it feels like it is because uh, whatever your danger is as long as you're safe it's, it doesn't matter, right? I mean, so any danger is relative, isn't it? I mean, if I were to go out into with you guys to Wales without the right equipment and not have enough right clothes, I could die of hypothermia. I mean, this, the principles yes. are the same, right? Yes. It's just about being safe and having... Yeah. Well, you always say, Ant, that the, there's no such thing as bad weather, just bad clothes, Clothing. right? That's, yeah. yeah. So... Yeah. There are ways you could hurt yeah. yourself. Yeah, exactly. Like if you don't, even if even if you think, oh, do you know what, you might take enough water for the first day or so, but after that, what are you doing? You know, have you planned 
stops into your route or I've, I've done that before and I've been caught out and um, I've, it's nothing that has obviously led to any problems because I'm still here but yeah. it, it can it well, can be done and it can, it, yeah, it can be done yeah, again but it's having the right equipment so like fil filters boiling water etc etc but like so so Angie where were you getting the water from was was the resource or did, did the expedition take so much in the trip because Six weeks is, is is quite a long time. A long time with a lot. Um, mm -hmm. You've got a lot of it people. A, That's a big consumption mm. of water. So we were given a... We were all each rationed per day. And so, for example, washing up was very complicated because you had... We, you know, we, we literally would ration out what we had. And that was led by uh, those that knew better than me. Um, so... I'm, this is so unprofessional. I'm not entirely sure if I should tell you, but I will because I, you know, whatever. This is going to improve our ratings. Now. That <laughs> controversy. Well, Let's I don't. Get it's going to. It's going to. No one listens. It's going to anyway. lower mine. It's going to lower mine. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'll tell it then. So one of the things that we were allowed to do was to take a bottle of liquor that was supposed to be our sort of nip every night. You know, the kind of round the campfire as we're doing now, have a little shot of something, and that was supposed to last our entire trip. I got there, got, I had, I had my choice, I think was a blood orange vodka that I got massively overexcited about day two and I drank all of it in one night around the campfire. So that was a huge error because not only did I not have anything else to drink for the rest of the trip, I also had the worst hangover of my life the next day with a lukewarm bottle of army water. I would have given a hundred pounds for a can of Coke, I'm telling you, the next day. It was the worst... <laughs> It was the worst journey I've ever had in my life. Just, and I thought, well, that was a, that was so that was so somebody who hasn't camped before, right? To think about, to think smart, well, to no, think I, ration. You I, know, I meet a lot of people like that. Depending on the circumstances, but I won't get absolutely smashed because I know it's going to do me no favour. I, I took, you know, twelve cans of beer in my in my rucksack <laughs> I, mean, I, I probably poured three or four of them away because it's gonna be bothered to carry the weight and you were very sensible and just took like two and you still had a couple of mine and helped me consume them just because you don't like waste but that was well it. yeah waste that's yeah i hate waste hate waste like if i'm sat around a campfire and i've got a base of operations i'm gonna get absolutely matched when you're stuck thousands of miles away from home and you've got a big hangover because you've consumed a bottle of vodka and your your teammates your your camp colleagues are feeling fairly fresh what what happens then well it turns out that that six weeks the, the secondary course i did at university which was drama came in very handy because i pretended i wasn't i sounded very unprofessional with what i just confessed to but i was very professional in the fact that nobody knew except except the guy who was sitting next to me when i'm begging him for drinking out of his bottle just a couple of sips, please. Uh, um, give me water. No, I, I was very I was very professional. But the question is, is is did he did he <laughs> but I you, learned cooking. Did he give you a few sips of the water, Ange? Because what myself and Ben have learned is as you sit around a, a campfire, and this is the whole premise of this is the virtual campfire. But did he say, Here's your water bottle? Yep. Yeah, I thought he might mm -hmm. do. When you film with people, even though you're not necessarily camping. One of the things that filming gives you is a sense of camaraderie because you're all in it together. And camping feels like it gives that to you too, where you're all in it together. And so yeah. the combination of the two sort of doubled that. It both magnified the the annoyance of people, but unified us at the same time, if that makes sense. No, it doesn't. Yeah, it makes perfect sense.
Bean Camping, the Camping and Outdoors podcast. It's just been so horrendously wet in the UK this year. So we were we were in a camper van with a with an awning and everything, and it was all great. And new arrivals turned up, went about ten foot and got stuck. And literally everybody just turned around and went right, quick push, and we pushed this van onto the field into a reasonably suitable location but the the point is is that everyone stopped what they were doing and they just helped this this family get onto the field and at least get to where they needed to be to be comfortable for the night with camping there's a bit of an altruistic nature with people especially yeah. like if you're in a tent or whatever on, on a small site i've helped people i've had people help me even just hold literally hold a corner down while it's absolutely blowing so you can just thread the poles in is that part of what you two are drawn to in that world? Both of us go to places where it's not quite so popular, to be honest. We, we, we actively try to seek places where you can go that aren't overpopulated, purely because if you go to somewhere where there's 100 people, you're not going to get to know anybody. If you go to a place where there's 10 people, then there's a good chance that you'll actually really get to know seven of them. And you might never speak to them again but it's nice in that moment. Well, I guess when you two go away, there's a sense of needing each other in a... Of course, you can camp alone, and you both presumably like, like you said, Ben, solace. And yet, because you both like solace, it's easy to be together because you respect each other's need for that, both yeah, that privacy. You could, you could, you could walk, walk like two, three miles, and well, we've done it, where you've you got to dig deep, and you don't, there's, no, there's no time for small talks. You're just thinking, my legs are killing me. Like, and that's that's the only thing getting you through the next couple of miles before you think like right we need to start looking somewhere to camp but I mean I, I enjoy quiet anyway for me as well sort of stripped of all of my comforts and some yeah and so and that was both uh, the first week was a nightmare to be honest you know I, I we, we couldn't wash with anything other than sand or wet wipes sorry yes carry on but so we'll go back to the stand I'm interested in that I literally washed myself with a wet wipe I stopped being frivolous with anything and so the other option was sand. So sand, if you rub it, it's a, the greatest sort of exfoliator in the world. Yeah, it's, it's very abrasive. Massively uncomfortable. Couldn't wash with water. We were tempted by the end, you're just like, where should we pour it? I mean, over my head. I want to wash my flipping hair. It's been six weeks. I mean, I might like my comforts, but I don't need to, I don't wear make. I don't need to wear makeup and stuff. So that wasn't taken away from me. But the, the option of changing my clothes was, which was so mad to me in the first week, I couldn't bear it that I couldn't wash my clothes. So I was putting on dirty clothes but but did, do you know what I was dirty so who cares like I, I got rid of that fairly quickly but in the first week it was hard like the longest I've camped is is, is three weeks well after that I was well I, was, I might as well have been wild to be honest right but isn't it amazing how quickly you can shift from getting into it to actually enjoying it to going oh this is my life now this is fine yeah yeah, it was like I didn't. Yeah, I didn't have electric for three weeks or anything like that, and it was it was literally just a case of well, this well, is it. The longest took, I've been took is enough enough is clothes, and that's it. It's very easy, well, for me to adjust to not having all the stuff that you carry with you. I don't need it. I think I think it's a different circumstance though. So living in a house, you need certain things, um, whereas camping, you know what your limitations are, and that's a tent. So. You have to pack with that in mind, and for me, it's it's all about weight. You know, I'm I'll max out at 15 kilos because there ain't no way, you know, and that's including water. That's everything. 15 kilos, that's it. And ideally, 
ideally, because I was like a bit of beer room, I like to try and aim for about 11 or 12. Yeah. And then I've got two or three That's... kilos to play with for, for beer. <laughs> <laughs> but Andrew, you, you were, what well, your camping was overlanding, wasn't it really? That's what's classified as overlanding. So you were in a, you were in a truck and support group. Yeah. I didn't know that's what I was classified as, but I shall now add that to my resume. You're listening to Bean Camping with your hosts, Ben and Ant. Welcome to the virtual campfire. I wanted to ask about um, like the, the flora and fauna. So you mentioned lions and mosquitoes and, and, and elephants and stuff like that. So what, what did you see? I have to say one of my most favourite experiences of my entire life, a zebra was running beside us. It was literally chasing our car. Just, just right next to the window. Just a, but just running with us as if we were another animal. It just was running ah. with us. And you know when you sort of go, have I... That must be like was, a scene out of Madagascar where you... <laughs> yeah. You know, and like, they were was, like just clip-clopping away, you know, clip-clop, clip-clop. You're like, hey, what are you doing? <laughs> you know how you just sort of, you, you spent, I just went, oh my God, and then yelling in the car going, it's a zebra! Because you just don't quite realise what you're seeing. And then I woke up in the morning and there was this indentation where my head was outside by the tent. And I was like, it was very small. And the hunter was saying it must have been like a small deer or something, a kudu, who'd sort of fallen asleep. And we used each other as warmth for the night. You've only got a piece of nylon protecting you. The thing I was most worried about was was spiders, because I'm quite an arachnophobe. I'm not great with spiders. spiders. We're all agreed here that there's no such thing as a good spider. And I am a little ashamed, and I, I take this with... Uh, well, actually, I don't take it at all. You know, if anyone wants to contact us and say you're doing wrong, but if I see a spider in the house, it gets my size nine. That's the end of it. See, that's not right. See, see, I'm a massive arachnophobe, and when I was in Namibia, I was really, really, really frightened. That was, I wasn't really frightened of any other things whether that was rightly or wrongly. Every night I went to bed, that pencil torch, I would just sort of do that to try and see what was in the tent. You can't, so you can only see sort of periods of it. You can't see the whole thing at once. So you have a limited window and I'd look, look, look. Because you have to check, right? Because your tent's been out there. Yeah, yeah. Check, check and day. check again. Which I think you might find yeah. if you said that to your friend, uh, the major in the SAS, he would really understand that because that's a mentality is check, check and check again. But, you know, you also get relaxed with things, don't you? When you sort of health and safety. Yeah. yeah, so there was, we must have been sort of three or four weeks in and I was a bit more relaxed and we all went to bed and we'd all go to bed at the same time, right? Because what, what else is there to do? The fire goes out, you go to bed, you've got to get up early. And so myself and the researcher were sort of lying there. We'd, and, and you could, all you could hear the whole thing was sort of zip, zip, loads of zip. And we were all lying there. And then one of the cameramen was Australian and I just heard him go, what the f- the hell was that? So he'd gone to bed. There was a spider above his face. Oh, I'd have been flapping around inside that canvas like a man possessed. Any line within a five-mile radius, mate, would have heard that dinner bell ringing. <laughs> Just me going, ah! There is absolutely no chance. It is bad enough trying to find the zip on your sleeping bag in the morning, whatever whenever you go camping but i tell you now that i would have found it in 0.0002 seconds and i would have flapped Mate, 
zapped it before you even got a chance to look at it. Oh, my God. So because this guy was so chilled out, and obviously he's Australian, so he was used to anything creepy and horrible. That might bite you and kill you. That might, well, and potentially render you paralysed, albeit momentarily. So I heard him go, I'm getting out of here. I don't know what he's talking about. But So I went, so I started this chain of zipping. So I was like, Zip, zip, zip. then the researcher was like zip, 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 and we were getting out and then of course everyone else can just hear zips and so you're so alert everyone the whole camp got out and he told the story and i'm not sure any of us slept particularly well that night because we were no, <laughs> I, I don't blame any you. any time a piece of my hair i was like that <laughs> it was awful it's all about being desensitized isn't it well don't get me wrong if, if i'm out in the garden and i'm Digging stuff and chopping. I ain't, I ain't going to squash merit like that because they're doing a job at the end of the day. But you're yeah. in the arse, mate. Fair game. Don't come in. Oh, yeah, no, exactly. You know, I don't invite an uh, axe murderer into my house, Ben. Um, not, exactly. Not knowingly, anyway. Don't see spiders any different, to be honest with you. They're, they have my whole garden and they're welcome to it. And I, well, I have places where they actively do hide and I know that and I leave them to it. That's up to me. Have you, Anthony, have you tried a sign with a picture of a spider with a line through it? So I think that might, might work. No, I'll just say f*** off. <laughs> so they can't, they can't read, but they can understand English. Okay, just, just being clear as to what your method is of keeping them out. <laughs> I think they're smarter than it's you universal. might be. I give them a two-finger Kit Kat. <laughs> <laughs> universal, that is. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, we have fly spray. We have lots of different things that can get rid of flies. I just don't need spiders in my house. Bean Camping, the Camping and Outdoors podcast. Once we found the Himba people, which was part of the journey for the whole team, was we actually stayed in uh, mud huts. So they were all, they were all um, straw ceilings with, made of mud, basically. That was like, we upgraded. I couldn't believe I could have a shower. It was like, oh my God, I haven't had a shower in six weeks. But, and it had electricity, which which felt really weird. But the, the, the downside of that is that when you walked into the room and you, for the split second you put the lights on, whatever critters were there on the walls shot up into the ceiling like nobody's business. So oh. you, the worst part was you knew they were there. Yeah. And so put, put it, putting the light on made them hide in the ceiling. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So the the objective was the Himba people, and you found them. What did they make of you rocking up with six Land Rovers and you know two hundred gallons of water and lighters and you know MRE meals from the army and all the rest of it? You know. Well, you know what? I think first of all we were mindful of that because we didn't rock up with all that stuff. We had somebody take us in on foot mm-hmm. to meet the people so we were not as sort of western loaded which would have been inappropriate i think the way of life is obviously completely different there's certain people within those people who have perhaps found a slightly more western way which is you know who knows whether that's good or bad it's just you know it just just, is it just is right you can't it's i'm sure that you know there's been bad things about it but the, the people that we spent time with were just amazing. What was the most surprising thing about, about the Himba people? The One of the most extraordinary things about the Himba people is that they cover their skin in a mixture of okra and butter. So, at, so their skin is actually red. 
It's absolutely okay. the, yeah. so beautiful. And so what was really gorgeous is you can tell who's been playing with the kids because all of our trousers were just covered in this sort of ready powdered stuff yeah, yeah. where we've just been playing. And also, you know, we were quite unusual. And, and also, I, you know, my skin, I'm very pale and very ginger and that's not particularly usual. No. We were both pretty alien to each other, right, in some respects. Yeah, I guess, yeah. Ben, I think where you're coming from is there's almost an element of you that living in the Western world and... I know you've got, you know, 2.4 children and you've got a job and all the rest of it. You're listening to this, aren't you? And you're saying, wow. I could live like that. I could live like, exactly. Yeah. And me, me too It'd as well. It'd take a little bit of getting used to. It'd take a little bit of getting used but, to, But would it be a hardship? Every day, you've got to get up, chop some firewood or whatever, and then go and hunt your dinner. I think I'd, get, I'd give it a good go. And if I, if, yeah, if I died, because I'd chop my fucking... I'd, I'd love to know how long you'd last. Attention, then I'd love to I'd know how long you'd go, mate. I wonder, it's interesting though, isn't it? Because what you're doing is taking stuff away that you have. Yes. And people who live like that don't know they're, they're that it's dr- been taken away. They don't. And at best, they're trying to add to it. And bit by bit, they are. And yet, we're, don't, we're trying to don't influence miss what that. what you don't have. No, you, you, Ben, you're right. You're absolutely right. You, you do not miss what you don't have. And if you don't know about it, then you haven't got it. You get caught in a social trap, um, you know, whatever that might be. I it think it's pro- like... properly fascinating, though. Oh, that, that, I mean, oh, yeah. that, that is... I mean, Ben, we, we need to have this conversation with a psychologist about the social trap because it's probably where we're stuck at. The average person has 150 connections, like meaning, well, sort of meaningful, like that, because that, that's about all our brain can actually handle. Is that um, right? That's interesting. Yeah, I, I can't, can't even do that. Well, no, no, like I've got so, three on this call, and I'm struggling. <laughs> <laughs> so basically, the brain brain can only only handle like 150 connections. So, so you look at um, villages especially with these with these tribes and they don't they don't live in groups much bigger than that if you know there might be 50 to 100 people and everyone knows each other close friends family etc but the reality is 150 people your brain maxes out yeah i've not done any research on that ben and i would instinctively agree with you probably the best way to wrap this podcast up tonight would be to echo the words that you left me on a note on my windscreen and that is to say that Monday blues will go away next year when you come back to stay yeah that's it that's yeah. exactly it yeah. it's been fun as always thanks uh, yeah, for having that's me guys. All right. it's, been our, it's been our pleasure thank you very much maybe I'll see you guys in Wales one day around the campfire You'll have, you'll have to experience it. You'll hate it, but you'll have to just experience it. <laughs> I'll do it.